Welcome back to a quick timeout podcast. On the show today is Luke Cooper, NBA skills coach. Those of you who are familiar with the Pure Sweat family, you've probably seen Luke's training on social media. In addition to his work with NBA players, Luke also trains players at other levels. I think all of us would say that our programs are focused on player development, and I personally love the skill development component of coaching. So for those reasons, I thought it'd be good to have Luke on to talk to us about teaching different aspects of skills. Before we get into the interview, big thanks again to our friends over at 323 Sports for sponsoring the podcast. 323 Sports is a team dealer specializing in sports uniforms, equipment, footwear, and apparel. To find out more about how 323 Sports can help your athletic program, visit 323sports.com. On to my conversation with Luke Cooper. I want to welcome Luke Cooper to the podcast today. Luke, thanks for jumping in on the show with us. Not a problem, man. I'm excited. There's a lot of guys on social media who say that they're pro skills trainers, but I mean, you're training some of the big time college and pro guys. How did you get into what you're doing right now? It's a loaded question. I guess the long story, long story short is um, I started training when I was like a sophomore in high school and I actually met, so Drew Hamlin, who I'm sure a lot of the listeners know uh, from Pure Sweat Basketball, he did a clinic at my high school. So he came, this is when he was a, I think a junior in Belmont, maybe. Um, and he ran a clinic at my high school and I remember sitting down and talking to him when he came. And at that point I didn't know, like for me, it was always the two jobs in basketball where you could either be like a, a normal coach or you could be like a player. And I was a five, eight white guy. So like, obviously I wasn't going to be a player. Um, and so I started picking his brain and, you know, kind of understanding, you know, this personal side of, you know, basketball training, if you will. And, So I started training when I was a sophomore in high school, you know, started building up my first academy, had four kids and then 16 and then 20 and ended up going to, you know, over a hundred kids. And then it just kind of grew from there. So it started off with, you know, super young kids. And then like anything else, it just kind of grew. Before I get to some specific questions about skill development, talk to me a little bit about being a skill development coach. What are maybe three or four things that someone needs to be able to do or maybe characteristics that they need to have in order to be a good skills trainer? Yeah, so I think the first thing, and especially in 2019 where it's fake it till you make it on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff, I think you got to be in it for the right reasons. And I think if you're in it to only train pros – Number one, I think that's unrealistic. Number two, I think you're doing a disservice to kind of the industry. And so, you know, my big thing I tell people all the time, it was great advice that I got when I was younger is to grow your backyard. And so you can't be so consumed with, you know, training, you know, the best player in your area. If you have six, you know, middle school kids in the gym with you, you got to focus on those kids. So I think the number one thing is that number two is just relationships um, and being able to connect with the players and their parents and their coaches Um, And then probably, you know, the third thing is just you have to be able to study the game um, and and understand that, like, just because someone does it on TV doesn't necessarily mean that you should teach it. And just because they do it, you've got to understand why they're doing it and when they're doing it. So then you can relay that information onto the players and they can get a better understanding as to why they're actually doing something. So let's imagine that a player comes to you and it's their very first session with you. Where do you start? Oh, that's tough. Um, well, it depends on, you know, obviously the grade um, and all that. You know, if it's if it's a pro or a, even a college guy, we're super lucky to have access, you know, to Synergy where you can go and you can watch all their stuff. So if it's a college or if, it, if it's a pro guy, 
I'll go through and watch all their clips from the last, you know, whatever I have access to. So that's obviously a per, per, excuse me, perfect case scenario where you have all that stuff. Um, you can go through and kind of create like a game plan. Hey, listen, I watched 4,000 clips. Here's what you do well. Here's what you stink at. Here's where we can improve. Um, for like a lower level kid or middle school or high school kid, you know, I just start off with the baseline of like, can you finish with both hands? Can you pass with both hands? How's your footwork? How's your jump shot? Um, and it seems super basic, but like if you can't do those three or four things, then none of the other stuff even matters. Um, so that's kind of like the first workout. It's just like, all right, where are we at with both hands? Where are we at as far as like your footwork? And then how's your jumper look? And then I like, kind of build it out from there. Diving into that a little bit more. So even five or 10 years ago, when people thought skill development sessions, I think what came a lot to a lot of people's minds was using cones and two ball dribbling, maybe even using tennis balls and doing a ton of dribbling moves and some shooting. What does a typical skill session look like for you? So if you come to one of my workouts and this isn't a knock on anyone or, you know, I'm not trying to start trainer beef. I know there's a lot of that anyway. Um, <laughs> I don't do any of the tennis ball stuff. Um, if I have cones, it's just to simulate a defender and it's pretty basic. You know, it's for me, the, the main things are, can you shoot it? Like I said earlier, can you finish and can you pass with both hands? Can you make decisions? So if we're in a group workout, we do a lot of decision-making stuff to where you actually have to be a basketball player. And then I think the biggest one for youth players and kind of all the way up is can you finish contested? I think, you know, I had a group last night of, um, of high school kids and I was telling them, I was like, listen, when do you guys practice layups? And they were like, I don't know, three-man weave and, you know, layup lines. I was like, exactly. Like, and you can be going full speed. You can be going as hard as you can, but it's just different in a game. And I think the, you know, the number one thing that I try to do with young players, especially if we're in a group, is like throw them in contested finishing situations. Because I'm a firm believer, like if I told the group last night this, and you might agree or disagree, but I was like, listen, if you can make 70% of your, your layups and you can make 80% of your free throws, you're probably an all-conference basketball player in high school. And that's just kind of the reality. So I think like you start there, you start with, all right, can we finish around the rim? And then you kind of build it out. I mean, I do a lot of partner stuff to where it's partner in the sense of I want them to get like a live defender or maybe a defender that's like, you know, guarding them a certain way. Um, I think, you know, early on you can start off, you know, on air, but a lot of players are good on air. The problem is they get in a game, they get, you know, they freak out because they've never actually worked on anything with someone there guarding them. I mean, I think a big part of like player development is not only being able to do the move, but being able to feel the move. And so you can do it on air, you know, a thousand times and you're going to get better a hundred percent. But I think those, you know, 50 reps when someone's actually guarding you a certain way and you have to be able to make that reaction. I think those reps will matter a lot more. I tend to see that more are moving towards that realization that everybody can do one on no, but moving towards small sided games, two on two, one on one type finishes and that kind of thing. The question that I have is, where do you find either the balance of doing both of those or even like when to move on from a one-on-O, especially for our coaches who are listening, who are maybe working with younger players. Yeah, It's great if you go straight to one-on-one or two-on-two, but if they can't dribble and make the move, then it's not going to serve them much. It's not going to serve much 100%. purpose anyway. So like, how do you 
know or or how much time do you spend on doing those one-on-one moves or you know i've, I've watched videos of that you post on instagram and on social media that you do work one-on-one with a kid and so there is no defender there and you're explaining things to them and talking them through the move and you know you may jump in and kind of give them dummy defense but is it just by feel what, how do you determine when to go on to that small-sided game or one-on-one defender yeah i think i think the short answer is it's feel so i don't think there's a exact like hey this is when you do this um and i think that's part of what makes a good coach a good skills coach is being able to like not to get off track like when i first started i would have like a a plan right so 15 minutes we're going to do this 15 minutes we're going to do this 15 minutes we're going to do this and the problem is like that's awesome but like it's not a perfect world right so like it might take 20 minutes to do that and it might take five. Like you don't know. So I think being a good skills coach or coach in general is being able to feel out that situation. The long answer I think though is I want guys to be able to do it as close to perfect as possible and understand all the little nuances before I kind of throw a defender like on them. Um, It makes no sense, like you said, to have a, a youth kid who can, you know, barely shoot a left-hand layup and be, all right, contested finishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, there's steps to it. So I think I think it is feel, but, like, I think I would want them to be able to do it, do it correctly, understand all the little stuff, um, and then kind of slowly throw a defender. So maybe, you know, then we throw a defender who's specifically guarding them one way to where they only have to make one, one read and they know what it's going to be. And then from there you build it out. Now you have to make an actual decision. And now it's live. So I think it's always steps. Um, but I think it's just feel of, you know, the player in the situation. I think you bring up a good point. And from observing what you do with your players, there is no cookie cutter. This is how my workout is going to look. I would assume that especially as you go up to your pro guys, you're not working with the same moves with one guy as you are with the other one, obviously, right? A hundred percent. You know, it's harder. It is harder at the youth level because you you know, you have groups of 12, right? Yeah. And like, you know, I try to do mine, like, all right, guards here, bigs here, et cetera. And so it is a little bit harder at the youth level, but also honestly at the youth level, it's like you can throw a lot of stuff at them and they probably need to kind of work on it. You know what I mean? As you get farther along, like even like a lot of my pros, like their role is super defined. So it's like, listen, at the end of the day, you're going to do this, this, and this. And so it almost becomes, I don't want to say it becomes easier. It just becomes more simplified, but way more detailed, but it's definitely not cookie cutter. Um, You know, each player kind of has their own plan and and you go from there. But again, it's also way easier uh, when it's just one player on the court than when there's 12. Yeah. I would guess with your older players, you're going more depth than you are width. That kind of leads me to the next question. With those younger players, what do you find typically are the top three things on average maybe that players are lacking at that youth level? This is a question. This is something that like I live in like a basketball house basically where there's like three other trainers. So we're constantly just asking questions. Players have to be able to shoot the basketball. You know, before you get into all these moves and all this other stuff, like I think if you want to separate yourself at an early age or even just at any point – be able to shoot the basketball. That's number one. I think number two, like I said earlier, is being able to finish, you know, around the rim contested. And then I think number three is being able to make decisions. And I think those are the three things that all the way up, I think they get more complicated as you get a little bit older. But I think all the way from youth to middle school to high school, et cetera, can you shoot? 
can you finish and then can you make the right decision? If you can do those three at a high level, like you're really, really good. I've seen you and Drew and the others there with, at Pure Sweat use a lot of video. How do you incorporate film into those sessions and what kinds of things are you showing guys? Is it like game film? Is it skill session clips? Is it video of other players? What are you focusing on when you have that laptop there next to them? Yeah, so I think it's all the above. Um, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, listen, a lot of the times it goes like this. It's you do this, right? So maybe you you do this on your jump shot and then like we'll show them because a lot of times, you know, film doesn't lie. You know, there's always back and forth until you bring out the video. And then, you know what I mean? And then when you're looking at the video, it's like, well, here it is. You know, so they can't, there's less back and forth. And it's like, it creates a way quicker buy-in from the player, number one. So it's like, hey, you're doing this on your shot or your move or whatever. Then here's some examples of certain guys that are similar to your skill set, you know, player type that are doing the move that we want. You see how they do it right here. So that's a lot of it. And then a lot of it is, though, it's like, you know, we're lucky enough to have video guys in the gym. 90% of the stuff we videotape is probably more than that is never seen by the public. Purely for like us to show the players Hey, listen, this is what we're talking about. Cause you know, sometimes it's like words can't quite get through or they feel like they're doing something, but they're not. And we're like, we're trying to get them to do it, trying to get them to do it. And then you bring out the camera and you film it. Like, hey, here's what I'm talking about. And then they're like, Oh, okay. I got you. So it's really all, all the above, whether it's showing a player what they do, you know, what other players do, or, you know, even in a workout, what they could have done different um, on a certain move or, you know, in a one-on-one situation, whatever the case may be. We're quickly approaching the basketball season and probably by the time this airs, some teams, at least at the college level, they will have already started. So I'm curious, as you move from the off season to preseason, is there anything different about the workouts that you do? Do they change in length? Is your focus different? What changes do you make? So I think, you know, especially for pros, I think this probably trickles down to everybody. It's like, Everyone comes into the summer wanting to get better and, you know, expand their role, improve their bag, you know, all that lingo. Um, so early on in the summer, it's like, okay, cool. Well, we're going to work on some of the stuff that you think that, or we collectively think that you can probably get a little bit better at and maybe expand your role. Um, as season starts to kind of get closer and closer, that narrows down to like, okay, here's what you actually do a ton of. Um, and so, you know, NBA, there's a bunch of 3 and D guys. And it's like, you know, listen, I want to be able to make moves off the dribble and do all that stuff. It's like early on in the summer, like, cool, we'll do that because I, I think there's a time and place for that, especially with confidence and what that, you know, brings. But as, you know, September, October kind of quickly approaches and training camp comes along, it's like, listen, at the end of the day, you're going to get paid millions of dollars to make corner threes, come off handoffs and guard people. And so then the workout slowly starts to trickle back into – kind of their bread and butter to make sure that, you know, we have the other stuff, but at the end of the day, like what you get paid to do, what you're going to be on the floor to do is at the highest level it can be. What do you think as far as like percentage wise, do you spend changing something that a player already does versus teaching them something new versus just ripping something that they already do, but just like fine tuning it? Yeah, I think that's, one, a really good question. And, and one of the things that I've started to do a lot of is I think sometimes trainers let their ego get in the way where it's like, hey, I want the move to look just like this. And the reality is it's like, yeah, you want it to look like that, 
But playing devil's advocate, I can show you 150 other clips of it kind of looking like what the player's already doing. And I think it depends on what level. So obviously, you know, at the youth level, middle school, high school, they have, you know, their habits are a little bit different. You know, you can kind of change things a little bit quicker. Um, as guys, you know, if a guy's 27, he's been playing basketball for, you know, 20 years, and he's been doing something a certain way. Like, are you going to change it? I don't know, number one. Number two, it's like how important is it that it actually is changed? And if it's, you know, like this has to get better, this has to look like this, then okay, we spend a ton of time on it. But I do a lot of like, all right, this person does this move and they feel super comfortable with that. So can we make that move better and can we give them another option off of that move? Because I think that is something that they're actually going to use compared to like maybe teaching them something completely new you know, if they struggle with something, I'll tell you right now, if someone struggles with something for more than three or four workouts, then I have to really sit back and be like, all right, how important is this that they actually get this down? Because if they're really struggling with it, they're probably not feeling confident with it and they're probably never going to naturally use it. And I think that's something that in the last couple of years, my mindset has kind of shifted on and just kind of like looking at the player and be like, all right, you do this already. What can we do to add to, to that that might actually you know, happen in a game compared to me just wanting to say that I taught you a move um, and then post a video of it. I have a couple of specific questions. When it comes to teaching shooting, do you start or maybe like work on more of catch and shoot or are you working equally on the shooting off the dribble? I have a lot of guys that they can't even get the ball up to their pocket and shoot it with accuracy. Catch and shoot, I add the dribble into it and it looks even worse and the percentage gets even worse. Should I be teaching those equally or do you feel like they should be focusing in on catch and shoot and then kind of continue on and master the off the dribble? How should I go about doing that? I think in theory, you want to say catch and shoot because I think you say, all right, if you can't just catch the basketball and shoot it, why would I tell you to dribble the basketball and then shoot it? But something that like I talked to a bunch of people about this summer with different guys was I almost feel as if my theory is this, like if you can shoot off the dribble, you can probably shoot off the catch, but I don't think it's the same reversed, right? And so if you have the feel to be able to put the ball in your pocket off the dribble and do all that stuff, my theory is that you're probably going to be a pretty good shooter off the catch and shoot. And so, again, I don't know if this is the right answer, but some of the stuff I did this summer with guys was do a little bit more like off the dribble, quick pickups, working on getting the ball to their pocket, stuff like that and what I found was they actually ended up being way more confident and way more comfortable in their jump shot and it transferred over to catch and shoots and so that was personal experience and again I don't know it's a case-by-case probably thing I don't know that's an interesting question and I'm kind of beating around the bush and not giving you necessarily a great answer but I did I did notice that this summer was like all right and I talked to guys like, yo I just feel way more comfortable like I know I'm going to get 75% of my shots are going to be catch and shoot, but if like the ball in my hand just feels a lot better than if I were just to catch and shoot, catch and shoot, catch and shoot. Younger players, I, I saw somebody ask this the other day, correcting their shot during a season versus not during a season for the sake of messing up their shot. But if a kid's shot is bad, don't you want to fix it? doesn't matter when it is. I would say it depends on – you're saying – so younger, like how young? I mean, high school, junior high. Yeah. So I think it depends on what it is. So I think 
anything from waist down, I think is super easy to fix. You know, your base, your landing, how you step into the shot, et cetera. I think everything waist up kind of takes a lot of time. Now, if something's super messed up, it's probably like, why not? Right. And if it's something, you know, they're flailing their, you know, their follow through all over the place. And it's like, yo, listen, dude, if you just lock in on your follow through, you're going to shoot 50% better. Like that's probably worth it. The thing I will say though, is, you know, time progresses or players progress and they get older during the season. Confidence is huge. And so to me, it's like, what gives them the most confidence going into games? And then honestly, the other thing is, and this is true in all facets of teaching shooting, whether it's during the season, off season, et cetera, it's kind of on the player. So if the player doesn't buy into like whatever you're doing at any point, then it's probably not going to get the results. And if they do buy in, then that means they're probably willing to work on the, the stuff on their own. And then that's when you can actually see stuff. I think the biggest problem you can probably you know, agree to this is, you know, we can make so much progress in an hour, right? And then if we don't see the guy for another three or four days, or if they go off by themselves and they start shooting and they don't focus on the stuff that we just worked on, well, we kind of wasted an hour. So, so much of it, honestly, is the player going to listen to what we're saying? Do they agree with it? Do they, you know, do they buy into it? And then are they going to work on their own to kind of make that happen? And I tell players a lot of times, go home, grab a ball and, we don't need a rim for a lot of this stuff. Like a lot of it's just forming habits. And so if they're willing to go home at night and spend 15 minutes in front of a mirror, then it's probably worth changing some stuff. If they're not, then we're probably wasting our time, to be honest with you. Right. And I think for most coaches, time is such at a premium that it's sometimes pick and choose. What do you want to fix and what can you live with for the time that you have until you do get that opportunity, maybe in the off season to change something major that won't kill your season, kill the kid's confidence, like you said, and, and ruin the year for them. Before I let you go, you want to let people know where they can connect with you and, and check out more about what you're doing? Yeah. Uh, my Instagram is at I am Luke Cooper. And then my Twitter, I believe, is Luke Cooper HD. Just really quickly, if you haven't heard yet about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and other platforms so your show actually gets heard. You can even make money from your podcast, no matter the size of your audience. It really is everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That'll do it for this episode. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and share the podcast with your coaching friends to help us grow the game. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again at the next time out.